Welcome to the Teach the Geek podcast, where engineer and author Neil Thompson talks with STEM professionals about public speaking, a struggle for many of us. Whether you're a novice public speaker or a proficient one, you can always pick up tips on how to improve. Here's your host, Neil Thompson. Welcome to another edition of Teach the Geek interviews. My name is Neil Thompson. I'm the founder of Teach the Geek. It's an online platform for science and engineering professionals. The first offering of the platform is a public speaking course called Teach the Geek to Speak. To learn more about it, you can go to teachthegeek.com. Again, that's teachthegeek.com. Today, my guest is Jeff Perry. He is a coach for engineers and software professionals. He's also host of the Engineering Career Coach Podcast. I'm curious to find out what he did before he became a coach, the motivation to become a coach, and what he hopes people get from the podcast. Welcome to Teach the Geek Interviews, Jeff. Thanks, Neil. Glad to be here. Now, first question from the bit of background I did on you, I saw you got your undergraduate degree in mechanical engineering. What was the motivation to get that degree? Yeah, great question. So when I was growing up, I had some natural tendencies towards math and science stuff, like a lot of engineers. And I looked at engineering as an opportunity to not just do pure math or pure science or something, but uh, engineering seemed to me like an opportunity to take those skills and those aptitudes that I had and put them together for an opportunity to like make cool stuff. And so I tried to, to pursue that and I looked at some of the different engineering fields and mechanical seemed kind of the most diverse and something that could be applied to a lot of different industries and applications and so um i went with that to see where it would take me so it seemed interesting seemed kind of cool and so i went in and went for it and tried it out nice you know i've asked this question pretty much of everybody that's ever been on this podcast but and a lot of times their answers are really interesting as to why they got into engineering in the first place and it's the reason why I used to lie about the reason why I got into it because my, my answer wasn't interesting at all. I wasn't that great at math and science. I was pretty average, but my father said that I should study engineering. I think it was mostly because of the job stability. So that's the main reason I did it. Luckily it worked out and I didn't mind the actual work, but man, if I, if it, if it hadn't, I'd been pretty pissed off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was certainly a consideration too. I mean, uh, a lot of opportunities there and as things continue to, to grow and change and, and I saw that and, and so that looked good too. And so, yeah, I went for it. So I also saw that you got an MBA. Where, did you get an MBA right after you got your undergraduate degree or did you work for a while and then got your MBA? No, I worked for a while. So I actually just finished that um, about six or seven months ago. I finished that in 2020. And uh, so I was, uh, you know, multiple years into my career and uh, but but knew that I was kind of looking for some changes. This was before I started my coaching business. Um, I was working in a job that I liked, but kind of knew that um, wasn't where I wanted to be forever. And so I was looking for some catalysts that might you know, help me continue to grow and progress in my career. And also there were a lot of things that I wanted to learn about uh, in business and marketing and finance and accounting and things that I was pretty ignorant about. 
and an MBA was a good way to do that and also meet some cool new people. And so I did a part-time or they call it a hybrid MBA program, which so I was still working, but uh, allowed me to get my degree and also connect with, with people while still doing that with a, a cool program at the University of Washington is where I did. Oh, okay. So was it an online program? It was mostly online. They kind of branded as 95% online and 5% in person. Before COVID hit, we were spending long weekends a uh, few times a year in Seattle all together for a few days. So we had some of that, which was in-person, synchronous, and then uh, the rest of it was online. Oh, okay. Interesting. So then... So that so now there's you graduate from school and then then years later you can do an MBA. So there's a whole bunch of time in between where you're working. What kind of work did you do in between those times? Yeah, so I did a number of different things. So as you mentioned, I got a mechanical engineering degree. But when I was in school getting my engineering degree, I was part of a research group that was working on software for CAD design and or 3D modeling and stuff. And so we were doing all sorts of things. And so we're actually working on the software side of, of testing and also writing software code. And so I learned more software development stuff uh, there. And then we had a connection to um, General Motors who needed that sort of work done. And so a number of us, I think there were six of us who were working in that same research lab when we graduated, we ended up um, working together at General Motors in this CAD uh, software group. So I did software development for a few years, which was a whole new thing. That was uh, something that I didn't know a lot about. Um, I'd only taken one or two software classes when I was in school, but I saw that as an opportunity to learn something that was new and challenging for me, and I wanted to try it. And so, I did that, but I did realize that uh, long-term software was not going to be uh, the perfect fit for me. Um, I didn't love just sitting behind uh, a computer screen all day and hacking at code. There wasn't as much uh, collaboration as I would have hoped personally um, out of the type of work that I love to do. And so um, I then later had an opportunity to join a smaller company through some connections that I had and uh, did a number of different things. So the company did uh, and created, designed and manufactured uh, environmental sensors and, and data logging systems and software for um, in environmental monitoring and also did things in the realm of food manufacturing and food production. And so solving some pretty cool problems and um, and so I got to do a bit of engineering, went back to mechanical engineering stuff and design, product management. Um, then I moved over into operations and manufacturing and some other things. So I got to do a lot of different things there, which was a cool experience. All right. And then at some point you decided to leave all of that and become a coach to engineers and software professionals. What was the catalyst to make that decision? Yeah, a number of different things. So um, I was in the midst of my MBA degree and kind of feeling this pull still that I needed something new and different um, in my career. I was exploring different options and 
Uh, I also, for a few years inside of that company that I was working for, had been chosen and was delivering corporate workshops for uh, company culture. And we were working on things on mindset. And I got to do kind of custom stuff for smaller groups or individuals that, that were dealing with things. And I found personally, I was able to recognize through that experience that that sort of work when I was doing that, I just loved doing that. I looked forward to those days when I was doing that work, which was kind of on the side of my technical leadership work. Um, I loved doing that work more than anything else I was doing technically. And so I recognized that. And so when I got to one of those, I call them just kind of career plateaus where like, I really felt kind of bored in what I was doing. Because um, the position and the, the projects I was on, I was much more of a, and a maintainer and sustainer uh, of, of processes than a creator or innovator at that point. And that, that didn't really fire me up. And so I was looking for some adjustments and uh, eventually decided sort of long story that it was time for me to go. Um, and even at that point, I was still considering, okay, what do I do? What's the next thing? Like I said, I was about halfway through my MBA. I could have leveraged that for a complete career change out of technology or kind of connected to technology, but in more of a business position. But um, my wife and I talked about it a lot and I spent days and days and days just writing in my journal the things that were really important to me and a lot of introspection or reflection. And uh, we talked about the idea of starting my own business, which was something that I'd wanted to do for a while. And eventually there was one day when I was journaling and I kind of came through these ideas of connecting these engineering, engineering principles and ideas and even like basic scientific principles and how they related to our personal and career development. Um, from the basic things like Newton's laws of motion, that for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction, or um, if an object is at rest, then it will stay at rest unless it's acted upon by an outside force. And I was thinking about that, yeah, that's true with an object, but how true is that for us as people, where if I'm at rest, if I'm feeling lethargic, or if I'm not moving or making progress in my life, um, I need someone or something as a catalyst to, to get me going again, an outside force. And that's sort of the state that I was in at the time. I was feeling at rest in my career. And so the, the kick out the door of me to leave the, the company was, was that force that pushed me to, to learn and grow in new ways. And so kind of putting all that together and had some relations that, hey, maybe I could put a dent in helping engineers in their personal and professional development um, like I had really enjoyed. So um, that's kind of the impetus and certainly it's grown and developed since then, but that was the start of that. Nice. I mean, you'd mentioned that at the job that you had before you became an engineering coach, you were more of a sustainer, not an innovator. In the work that you do now, how has innovation impacted that work, if at all? Can you help clarify the question a bit, Neil? Innovation in what way? Well, any any way that you that you that you that you, that you would take it. I mean, I was just it kind of, I was curious to to see that 
innovation seemed to have been important to you because you were more of an a more of a sustainer at your last job. So I thought mm -hmm. that perhaps in the work that you do now, you would find some way to implement some sort of innovation into it because it seemed to have been important to you. Yeah, so I'm always, one of the things that's exciting to me as I continue to grow my practice and try and find new ways to help the people that I'm coaching and, and helping along the way is that there's always new ideas, new deliveries, new tools that I can learn and deliver to my clients as well. And so it happens all the time where I'm reading a book and it's the perfect thing. I may have just read something or listened to a book uh, just that day or that week that I get into a coaching call with a client and there was an idea that I was really wrestling with or, or learning from that I just recently learned that was perfect to share with the client. And so in that way, it's this, this wonderful opportunity where I get to learn and learn and learn and, and grow personally. And that's, that's personal innovation in my mind. I'm learning new ideas of how I can continue to, to get better myself and then continue to find ways to deliver that in new ways. So it's, it's a different sort of innovation. It's not a technology innovation other than some people consider kind of mindset or, or mental uh, adjustments to be like technologies in, in different ways um, or techniques. But um, I'm always f having to find new ways to deliver more positive impact with those that I'm working with. And so, um, yeah, it's innovation in a new way for sure, because I'm always bringing in new ideas and, and approaches that, that might be more helpful. With the clients that you work with, are these people that come to you that say, I have this problem, can you help me with it? Or is it you going out to and, and advertising yourself saying, these are the problems I can help people with? It's a combination. I get some people coming to me through some of the work I do. I mean, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn, so some people can find me through some of the stuff I'm putting out there. And uh, I use some other services that help me um, do some outreach to, to people in the industry that might be good fits and, and see if we can strike up conversations and relationships and see if there's ways that I can help. So it's a combination. So, and also for the people that you work with, do you work with them for a finite amount of time or is it more of an ongoing basis? Because I suspect if it is for a finite amount of time, you're, you're constantly in a state of looking for more clients to eventually replace the ones that you currently have. Yeah, so I have some people who engage me in both models. So some people will come and we'll have an agreed upon amount of time or amount of coaching sessions we're going to do. And that's where we start. Sometimes they extend, sometimes it's not a great fit or they've kind of accomplished where they needed to get to. And, and so we um, end that uh, client relationship, but some people I have that are ongoing and they want to just keep uh, growing and developing and they find that the relationship and the accountability and, and the coaching and the insights that I can bring, as a as a third party continue to help them and deliver value um, ongoing beyond what maybe their original goal was in engaging with me and so i have uh, a number of different things i also just spun up a group coaching program and that's more of a monthly membership that um, people can can engage 
for as long as they decide that it's valuable for them. So that's a, a new thing that I'm doing that I didn't do in the past where I was doing mostly one-on-one -on -one stuff. I mentioned in the intro that you're also the host of the Engineering Career Coach podcast. As the host, what do you hope that people get from the podcast? Well, firstly, what's the scope of the podcast and what do you hope people get out of it? Yeah, so this podcast was originally developed and still owned by Anthony Fasano of the Engineering Management Institute, been going since I think 2013, and really designed to be about personal and professional development for engineers and technical professionals. It's, it's pretty wide open though, as far as topics that we cover, um, from certainly things on career development and public speaking and soft skills, you know, a lot of that stuff all the way over to entrepreneurship and mindsets and even finance and, um, and different things. And so uh, the topic base is pretty wide. And so what we're trying to do is just make this a general place where, hey, any engineer or technical professional, um, if you're interested in personal development in some way of a lot of different topics, not just looking at one specific thing, which try and be pretty wide open with the type of guests and topics that we're talking about um, to, to help people grow and, and bring in a bunch of different people. So I really just think that and hope that it's a positive resource for as many people as possible who um, want to continue to, to grow and develop. Are there any topics that you'd like to cover on the podcast that you haven't covered yet? And if so, what are they? Yeah, so with the guests that I've talked to, we haven't done a lot on entrepreneurship because that's a new thing that I'm interested in. I know a lot of engineers are looking at and thinking about um, ways that they can maybe take some of their skills if they wanted to start their own thing. That it's a topic that has been covered on the podcast in the past, but that I just haven't interviewed people on yet because it's only every other week that um, we're putting out new episodes. And so um, that would be something that would be a lot of fun for me. There's all sorts of topics that I think would be a lot of fun. And it just uh, takes some time to, to getting the right people and uh, getting those episodes up. And When you agreed to be the host of the podcast, was the reason for it for it to help you with your business or was it just you were just interested in in the the topics that were covered on the podcast just wanted to host it yeah so it was a combination i would say so i had um developed a relationship with anthony fasano and he had had he's got multiple media platforms uh, youtube channels and and podcasts that he's doing and and um he had let me know and even kind of put a pause on the podcast when the virus hit. And there were a long, there was a few months where there wasn't a new episode um, because you were just focusing on some other new initiatives. And so I just pitched to him because I had done some blog post writing for him on his platform and done some other like short videos on the platform and suggested if he wanted to, get someone else to be the host to take that off of his plate, but still keep this podcast going, that perhaps I could be a good fit. Uh, he thought it was worth exploring. We talked about it and, and created an agreement. And uh, 
So, I mean, I had listened to the podcast and I really appreciated the content and the guests and the things that they were sharing. Um, I appreciated my relationship with Anthony as a great person who's doing great things to help and develop uh, people in the engineering space and do a lot of good stuff there. And uh, so it was a combination of wanting to keep that content going um, and also a way for me to get some more exposures, certainly in my business, uh, utilizing that platform. And so it's a combination, I think, a win-win situation, which is what I'm always looking for anyway. Yeah, I mean, I, I can see that. Certainly, you I, you kind of answered the question I was going to ask, ask next, next. I mean, you, you took over the podcast that already existed as opposed to starting your own. So I'm guessing yeah. the reason you did that is because of the exposure that that podcast already has, so you wouldn't have to start from scratch. Am I right in assuming that? Yeah, it certainly made it a lot easier. There's a, a lot of pieces to starting a podcast and, and running a podcast, as you know. And uh, uh, this podcast has some systems and, and other people who are helping to make it go really smoothly. And so this is a great way for me to try out the podcast. And maybe I'll do my own at some point. But uh, for me right now, it's a, it's a great way to be involved and have that outlet um, without having to do every single piece all on my own. Nice. So when it comes to public speaking, is that something you've always been good at or is that something you had to get better at? And if you had to get better at it, how'd you do so? Well, to say I've always been good at it, um, I mean, how do you know if you're good at it when you're just starting, right? <laughs> but uh, it's something that for me personally, it's never been on the top list of fears like it is for some people. Um, and that started when I was young. Um, something about... and. And I'd say it probably started when or began to be developed because of opportunities at church. And my church and the way that we do things, um, it's not always just professional clergy who are uh, speaking, but uh, members of the congregation. And so even from the age of like five or maybe even before that, I was uh, speaking in front of a, a group of kids. And then when I was older into teenage years, I was speaking in front of the whole congregation and having opportunities to, to present on topics and, and things like that. Um, and I had multiple opportunities to do that. So I found that I just never shied away from it. I did do some performing when I was a kid and in music and, and theater. And so I think that kind of helped, you know, the whole idea of being in front of people and on stage that got me a little more comfortable. Um, when I got into my professional career, I did join a Toastmasters club um, when I was working at General Motors and really loved the structure and the help that they give and the support to help you learn how to structure your talks and, and get really direct feedback. In fact, a lot of those things I'm always thinking about because they have someone in Toastmasters who's called the ah or the um counter and they're counting how many times when you're speaking you're doing double takes or saying um or or ah, or whatever those things are. And even as I've been talking to you, I've been catching myself doing some of those things because of what Toastmasters have made me aware of, which before that, I didn't even know I was doing it usually in certain tendencies that I had. And so still plenty of work to do there. So am I like a wonderful, prolific professional speaker? No, but do I shy away from it? Do I love the opportunities to do it? Do I love the opportunities to teach? Yes, I do. And it's just a lot of fun for me, actually, to talk to people and share ideas that I'm passionate about. And so 
I like to keep doing it and find opportunities. I was a member of Toastmasters for a number of years too. And I remember that, that all counter couldn't stand that guy. At the, at one of the clubs that I was at, you actually had to pay 25 cents for every awe or filler word up to, oh, well, wow. well, there was a, a cap of a dollar. And some people would just come in and just put the dollar in the pot because they knew they were going to they're gonna hit it. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So when it comes to the presentations that you put together, do you have a process for that? And if so, what is it? Yeah, so I try and take a step back and ask myself, what do I want the audience to remember or learn from what I share? And if I can really get clear on answering that question, then that makes everything else easier. And then I kind of start with an outline and the main points and start structuring how I want to move through. And, and then it turns into uh, clarifying the content and the visuals if there are any and, and other things. But it really, it's not a scientific approach for me. It's really a little more open-ended, but I really want to start with what's the main goal? What's the main message I want them to, to hear? Um, and I do try and, you know, preface at the beginning, what, tell them what I'm going to share with them. I share them things and then I try and summarize at the end when I'm speaking in, in a more formal setting. And so um, I try and use some of those ideas I learned from Toastmasters and, and other places to try and set the, the audience up for success and, and really be about them and what, what they're hoping to get out of it in the end. Do you ever get nervous before you give a presentation? And if so, how do you deal with your nerves? Sure I do. And, uh, and it happens all the time. There's a few things that I'll do to kind of help me. Um, if you've ever seen, it's one of the most widely watched TED Talks. I think her name is Amy Cuddy. She's a, a, a professor and she did study on, she's done a bunch of studies actually on body language and confidence. And so uh, kind of silly things uh, it seems to you or, or other people, but uh, doing like power poses and really getting in a position of, of strength and power and confidence, it actually reduces stress levels and increases our level of, of confidence. Even just doing that for a couple minutes before we enter into a speaking situation or, or other stressful situation like a job interview or something like that, right? Um, so sometimes I'll literally sit in front of or, or off stage or, or these days certainly in front of my computer before I turn things on and I'll get in kind of my Superman pose for a little bit. I'll also do another thing to kind of get some blood flow and I'll do some push-ups or something right before and that uh, gets some blood flow and gets a little more energy and gets me excited to, to go into it. Um, so, and, and then also doing a, a few nice deep breaths as well, just to kind of recenter and focus and remember, you know, like I was talking before, what do I want them to hear and remember from the speech and getting clear on that right before I start. So. Yeah, I've, I've definitely heard about the power poses. And I think doing a physical activity like push-ups is really helpful. I think it can help to dissipate that nervous energy. And then breathing, yeah. I, I think that's a great tip too. So thank you for offering them. This has been a really great conversation, Jeff. Is there anything else that you'd like to add about things that you're working on? You know, if uh, anyone wants to connect with me, obviously, 
Like I said earlier, I'm uh, happy to connect with anyone on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active there. Um, I have a, a website at morethan-engineering. And also I have a, another program, my coaching program, I call the Engineering Career Accelerator. People can learn a little bit more about that and get a free webinar if they go to engineeringcareeraccelerator.com. And uh, if they watch that uh, webinar, they'll even get a, a free LinkedIn profile guide if that's something they're interested in. So it's just a few places that people can connect with me if they're interested in connecting and learning anything more. Wonderful. Well, everyone, that marks the end of another edition of Teach the Geek interviews. My name is Neil Thompson, founder of Teach the Geek. It's an online platform for science and engineering professionals. The first offering of the platform is a public speaking course called Teach the Geek to Speak. To learn more about it, you can go to teachthegeek.com. Again, that's teachthegeek.com. Until next time, take care and stay safe. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Neil. Well, everyone, that marks another episode in the can. I hope you enjoyed it. If you like these episodes and want to support Teach the Geek, please subscribe, share, and like on any of your favorite podcast platforms. We're on all of them. Also, if you prefer to watch the episodes, head on over to the YouTube channel at youtube.teachthegeek.com. Until next time.